So this episode is going to go from sad to happy. That's the preview. So, this is not standardized English. My name is Dr. J.P.B. Gerald. Uh, this uh, podcast is about uh, seeking justice for the racially, linguistically, and neurologically minoritized. I talk about racism. I talk about ableism. I talk about language-based discrimination. I talk about whiteness in general, academia, a lot of things. But, generally speaking, the same people listen to the show. Um, this actual episode is just sort of some thoughts I had on Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a movie you've heard of by now, um, and those will be positive thoughts. I love the movie, and I just figured I would record this right around the time when it's about to win. I'm recording this before, um, but by the time you hear this, it will have occurred, and winning a bunch of Oscars now will it necessarily win the top Oscars, it seems likely, but you never know. Uh, but it's not going to win zero, so it is safe to say that what will what will, by the time you hear this, be an Academy Award-winning film. That doesn't necessarily mean things are better than other things, but it's still validating when these things happen. But this intro is not about that. Um, first of all, get it out of the way. Link in the Patreon. Sorry, the Patreon link is in the show notes, although not super. I don't care that much. Uh, and the, the link to my book is also in the show notes. But I'm tired, man. So this morning... Um, there was a lot of chaos involved, but the chaos is not important. Suffice it to say that we took Ezel to urgent care because he hurt his foot yesterday, and we just wanted to make absolutely sure he was fine because he was uncomfortable, but it turned out he was fine. And, of course, by the time we gave him the x-ray, he was already walking around again. So that's nice. It's just precautionary and so forth. So anyway, it took a lot longer than we needed it to. The reason I mentioned how long it took is because we were in a rush. I had to go to work. I had to take him to school and then go to work afterward. I had to take him to school and then I had to go to my own doctor, the appointment which I had already set, and then go to work. And um, unless I had to go to work. So when this happened, it was not the time to fight about it. But we definitely looked at each other. And I wrote about it on Twitter. And you've probably seen it. But uh so, he gets seen by the nurse, he gets seen by the doctor, the doctor pretty much confirms there's no real damage to his foot, because he, she distracts him, basically, and touches him all over his foot, and he doesn't react to her touching him, so, it seemed like, obviously, he is not that hurt, he just felt slightly uncomfortable, maybe a little bruise on the top. So... After the doctor comes in, she said, we just want to make absolutely sure with the x-ray. And so we're waiting for the x-ray technician to come in. We're told she's about to arrive. Then she comes in the room and says, I just arrived. It'll take me 10 minutes. So we're just like, oh, my God. So she comes back 10 minutes later and says, you know, I can't remember if the regulation was you can only have one person in the room or if it's not a great idea for the, it to be the mother usually because the kids have a hard time not moving and you obviously have to stay still in the x-ray. I don't know what they do if it was only her who brought him, but whatever. So we get there, and uh, Ezel is either on Alyssa's lap or sitting in the stroller, I can't remember. And I'm sitting on the, like, 
you know, butcher paper <laughs> on the on the chair. But the point is, we're both sitting there. We got our masks on, and she comes in, and she looks at me, and I can't remember the exact phrase. Usually, when people say racist shit, I remember the exact phrase, so I apologize. But she basically looks at me and asks what relationship I have to the child. She didn't use those words, but that's what she asked. And Alyssa confirms that I'm his father. Um, she didn't. She asked me, but Alyssa. Like, sorry, she looked at me and she asked Alyssa, right? And Alyssa. So in, now, the ostensible purpose of her asking the question is because the form there's liability involved with x-rays obviously and there's the form you have to fill out is like for a child who can't write their own name you write the child's name you write your name and you write your relationship to the child in case something happens right and so for whatever reason this woman didn't think that i would be able to do that without this weird interrogation um Alyssa took offense to it just as much as I did. She wrote Dr. Justin Gerald on the forum, which, I don't know, it's one of those love moments, right? But you all understand what I'm saying here, right? First of all, it's 8.45 in the morning. Who the fuck is going to be in the urgent care with the toddler besides his parents? Now, I could be his step-parent, sure, but that doesn't matter for what, like, it wouldn't matter for her form, so why would it matter, right? Like, we could have not been married, sure, but... It, it just didn't matter. Um, the fact of the matter is she needed me to fill out on the form my relationship to the child. And if she had simply said, hey, we need you to fill out your relationship to the child on this form, there's no problem. But she really questioned the fact whether or not I was his dad. This is clearly, very clearly some deeply ingrained stereotype that she thinks that I guess there aren't black fathers around or that she's just with her child and I'm just some guy she's with which there's nothing wrong <laughs> if, if she was with some guy right I, I mean obviously she's my wife but i just mean if a mother is with someone who they're not married to if they're not married then who cares but you know i real and this woman i want to be clear this woman was eastern european i'm not stereotyping but i do wonder if there's less exposure and i'm not i don't need to be charitable about this but you know the kid looks exactly like me or at least like I did when I was three and he's very clearly attached to both of us obviously certain things he's more attached to mama and certain things to me it's just you know in the moment Alyssa and I looked at each other and we're just like we can't fight about this right now we gotta get this kid into that because we still have to do the x-ray um I don't know. I don't want to leave dead air on this podcast. I think you all understand that that sort of thing is dispiriting and upsetting when it happens. And, uh, it's, you know, it's never a slur, right? I mean, slurs have happened. But when you experience these things, when you realize that people think this about you because of the group that you're in, um, you know, it's just sort of tiresome. I'm tired, you know? And I wasn't going to record this today, I was going to record this on Thursday, but I figured I wanted to capture how I felt today. And honestly, I didn't even have a moment to be upset, because I had to put him in the x-ray and take him to school, and then I had to go to the eye doctor because I was late, and then I had to go to my to work. And so I didn't have time to think about it, but when I was talking to my coworker at lunch, I realized that I was really upset. 
so I tweeted about it. We'll see if CDMD does anything. But um, <sighs> this is the kind of thing that I like to share because I think people don't understand this, the ways in which the racism works. Like, obviously, racism is not about individual interactions primarily. But the system of racism, which included separating black families and not just the separation, but then the media narrative that we choose not to be together, that's what leads to this individual action. That doesn't make it okay for her to do that, because even if she thought that, why did she say it, right? Um, I don't live in a neighborhood that has a ton of black people, but there's not zero. It's also, it's not a very white neighborhood, to be clear. There's a lot of white people here. I mean, sorry, there's a lot of Asian people here and a lot of um, fair amount of Hispanic people. Obviously, you can be white and Asian, white and Hispanic. You know what I mean, people. Um... But this cannot be the first black family she's ever seen, right? And I don't know. I think that that woman, she doesn't need to be doing this. I really think she needs to be doing this sort of work um, where black families can be around. Yeah. All right, folks. On to a much happier topic because I'm not recording the actual episode for a couple of days. Um, and yeah, we'll just talk about a movie I enjoy and the reasons why I enjoy it, which are not the same as everybody else's in the sense that, like, I don't have an explicit connection to the immigrant experience. Like, I find that very heartening and so forth, but it's not my family. Um, and certain aspects of it, like, just don't particularly relate to me, and that's fine. Um, but I'm going to talk about the aspects of it that do relate to me. Okay? Okay. Okay, so I'm in a different mood now. I appreciate you sitting through my sadness the other day, which to you is the same day as today. Anyway, so let's talk about everything everywhere all at once. And spoilers, don't listen to this if you haven't seen the movie. Why, why would you do that? I think it's unfortunate they haven't put it on regular streaming yet. It is on streaming. It's on Showtime. But who has Showtime? I, I suppose some people have Showtime because they like Yellow Jackets, but like... It's one of those things where I resist. I'm just like, I can't have every streamer, right? But for a long time, I said that about Disney Plus, and then I got it because I have a kid, and whatever. We're all going to be paying for all the streamers eventually. Whatever. But if you haven't seen it, please go watch the movie. Come on now. So by the time you hear this, this movie will have won at least two major Oscars. Whether it has won all of the major Oscars it could win, you will know by now. But, and, you know, I'm nervous, right? Because... When a movie I like is the true favorite, it's the first time, honestly, that a movie I like is the true favorite to the point of my deep investment in it, right? So, for those who don't know, and why would you, the Oscar prognostication is its own business, right? There's people who spent their entire careers as journalists trying to predict what will be on the show the following year. And uh, I listen to a lot of this stuff. It's actually pretty fascinating, you know? Um... I was aware of the other award shows since I was a teenager. You know, like I'd watch the Golden Globes or SAG Awards. I just like award shows. I like speeches, honestly. Um, and I started caring which movies won Best Picture when I was in high school because I like movies, you know. And then I started caring about Emmys later because I don't feel as bad about Emmys if only because, generally speaking, you get another chance, Right. Even, like, for example, Bob Odenkirk has never won for playing Saul Goodman. But he does have an Emmy, 
you just it was a writing Emmy from Mr. Show. But he has one. The same thing when Eugene Levy won for Schitt's Creek. He had an Emmy, but it was a writing Emmy. So anyway, the point is, like, very rarely do you have a super long career and you never get any recognition, at least with the Emmys, if you are on a prominent show. There are people, though, right? Shirley Ralph, Jennifer Coolidge, right, who are in, and Mary Bartlett, people who've been working a long time and didn't, weren't going to get any attention. And it's cool for them. But anyway, back to the Oscars. But the whole precursor industry has existed for decades, right? Um, and what I came, came to understand is that the earlier award shows both potentially portend what will happen and also influence what will happen. That's what makes it interesting. Unlike the Emmys, where there's no real precursors, because those Emmys are in September or August, depending on the year, and there's no, like, pre-Emmys show, um, you might be able to tell based on what happens at the SAGs, but that's in January. So they're voting on, or February this year, they're voting on the calendar year 2022. But when the Emmys come around, their calendar year is June 1st to May 31st. So that's a completely different set of nominees. So you can't predict. But with the other ones, you got the Globes and whatever. And the Globes had much controversy for just being racist dicks and, uh, you know, whatever. But they still had it this year. And they, um, you know, the speeches help, right? And then there's the Critics' Choice, and then there's, but those are, those are those are not people who vote for the Oscars. Some of them probably do, but not it's not the same people. And then, the real things you're looking at are the Directors Guild, the Producers Guild, the Screen Actors Guild. You look at BAFTA. We'll talk about BAFTA. Um, and then there's other things like there's critics everywhere so forth and generally speaking the love is spread around one movie will win the dga one movie will win the pga one movie will win the sag ensemble right and one movie will win the bafta now about the bafta so the only obstacle in the everything everywhere all at once path thus far and again i feel nervous saying this but you know we'll see what happens next week um it was the baptist because all quiet on the western front won there they love a World War One movie over there. 1917 also won. But in the last several years, because the BAFTA rules have changed and so forth, the winner of the BAFTA for Best Film, like, doesn't win the Oscar. Like, last year was Power of the Dog, right? The year before that was No Man Land, but I think we all know that 2020 was just bizarre. And in the sense that if the the usual path of things is that speeches influence awards because people like to see that they like, oh, I want to vote for that person, Right. Um, especially if they're torn between people. Because how do you really say what's the best, right? But in 2020, there weren't any live speeches. I mean, there were like Zoom speeches, but that's not, you know, speeches without a crowd, which is not the same thing as speeches. So you kind of have to think of 2020 differently, obviously. Um, and 1917 won in, in, in uh, 2019. Um, I can't remember what won in 2018, but it was not. Oh, it was Roma, right? So the... You get a movie that's deeply respected that usually wins at BAFTA. It's not always the movie that people love, like emotionally. And I'm sure you could chalk it up to the Brits being drier, less emotional, etc., that they, Americans love, us, love an emotional movie, which can be good, which I think it is in this case, this year. It can be bad when Green Book wins. Uh, <laughs> or Crash, right? So it's what everything everywhere is want everything, 
And the only thing that has won the awards it has won before the Oscars and not won the Best Picture Oscar was Apollo 13. But as people have pointed out, that movie lost to Braveheart, which is gross. But, like, there has to be a, a consistent second place. Right now, there's no, like, consistent second place. And again, BAFTA is not really a second place thing. Is it Top Gun? Is it Banshees? Who knows? But there's no... The, the people who don't like this movie are not coalescing around one other movie is the point. So hopefully it wins a bunch, and I think it'll mean a lot. What I think it means more than the representation, because this would not, it surprisingly, would not be the first movie that stars Asians to win, considering that Parasite won three years ago. Um, but what it's different is that it's, it's just so so weird. <laughs> like like it's so weird on the surface, which is a barrier, right? But what I think is happening with the movie is that people hear about the plot and they're like, ah, I don't know about that. And if they give it a chance to just sit there, then by the time they get to the end, they're very emotional. There's an entire genre of people on the Internet, YouTubers, just reacting to the movie. Now, there's movie reactions to every movie. But, like, people tell these YouTubers whose job is to react. This is the whole subset of YouTube, by the way, just, like, react videos. It's, it's bizarre. Um, some of the people are funny and some of them are not. But, anyway, these people stream their reactions to movies. And so, like, I'm sure some of them are actors in the sense that they're using the YouTube to try to get to an acting place. So they might be exaggerating their emotions for views. But also, I don't think that many people can cry on the drop of a hat. And so, like, there's, I've seen dozens of videos of YouTubers who have not seen the movie before, and but at the beginning, they're like, this is weird, this is silly, and they're laughing, and then by the end, they're, like, devastated and crying. Um, and that's the kind of thing that wins at the Oscars, unless there is some other movie that is just unimpeachable, right? That's how you get an Argo, which is kind of cheesy, although I will admit very entertaining, winning over a Lincoln, right? Or, uh, you know how you get uh, the artist. Like, they, they love movies about Hollywood. It's not movies about Hollywood. It's sentimental movies about Hollywood, right? Um, it's how you get a King's Speech winning over the social network, right? Um, and so on. It doesn't happen every time. If there's a deeply respected movie, that might still win. That's how The Hurt Locker wins. I don't think people were feeling all that emotional about The Hurt Locker, although I'm sure they felt emotional about Catherine Bigelow. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not saying emotional is bad because I'm here supporting this movie. And and frankly, the weird thing is the people who don't like this movie hate it, which is true for any front runner though. Um, and then you get some racism, right? It's not disliking this movie is not racist. I think the people who are being reasonable are people saying the movie's not for me, but I am happy that people are happy. Which is how a healthy person would behave. Being furious that, another, that, that a movie that genuinely just makes people happy is making them happy. There's something wrong with you, man. You know? Um, so anyway, I hope it does well. The stories, the narrative thing is kind of annoying, but campaigns are not just about quality, right? They're about narrative also, and I don't think we should pretend that any kind of awards are purely about merit. There's no such thing as meritocracies, people. There's no such thing. So when we pretend that something, uh, and also we use this merit thing to justify racism, sexism, etc. We say, well, this person just wasn't good enough, but then we don't think about the structural reasons why they might not have been X, Y, and Z. So as the Supreme Court mostly outlaws race-based affirmative action, you know, you see how this happens, right? We use merit, rigor, quality. Um, a lot of my bizarre 
unusual scholarship was didn't get into the top journals, which again I'm not bitter about uh, because it's I write pretty emotionally and viscerally, and there's there's this idea in academia that what your your reportage right your writing about your research needs to be objective. Well, there's no such thing as objective. That's not a real thing. There is no such thing as objective. Everything is subjective, and that's fine. Right? So this idea that we can present things without bias is silly. Everyone is biased. It's what do you do with the biases? Right? So anyway, you know, it makes me nervous that something ridiculous will happen. Um, it's interesting that when people say the international voters don't like the movie, they really mean Europe. And I don't love the way that they say international and they refer to Europe as if it's the only international place, especially in the last several years. You would say the international voters don't like it, for example, Parasite. But then you realize that because the, it, 1917 won the BAFTA, but then you realize that there's more people in the academy now who are international who are not from Europe. And I'm pretty sure the Asian voters are probably going to choose that one. And I'm not saying that to be reductive. I just mean, like, if you're going to be reductive about Europeans and say they're all going to choose All Quiet on the Western Front, which they won't, but, like, if we're going to be reductive, then let's be reductive in the other direction and say that that's so. Anyway, I don't like people calling Europe international um, or purely, like, all of international being Europe. Um, so, but anyway, the narratives. I, you know, obviously I've known who Michelle Yeoh is for a long time, but I didn't really watch any of her, like, martial arts movies until I was older. I saw Crouching Tiger was the first time I saw her fight, right? And I was like, this is cool. Um, and, you know, it's uh, just cool to see her get this recognition. I just really like when, as I get older and I get more sentimental myself, I, I realize that I, there's no such thing as, like I said, objectivity, right? So to say this performance is better or worse I think is mostly silly. Uh, it's really going to be your favorite. That like this is my favorite of the five, right? Um, this is not to discount the quality of the performance. I just think that that's usually not a great metric. So I just really like when people who work for a long time get extra recognition, you know, um, especially from communities that are overlooked. And although I'm black and most of my work is about black people. Um, ultimately, my research is about whiteness, which means that all the different racial groups are being held down by whiteness. So we got to have solidarity, and I'm really happy that there's a chance that that might happen. If even if she loses, I'm sure she'll be happy if the film wins a lot of awards. The story with Ki Kwan is, is one of those things where it's like deeply emotional and so forth. Hollywood, I'm sure, is going to take credit for his comeback, but... Mm, I'm not sure how much credit Hollywood should get after discarding him. So don't be too proud of yourselves for that one. Um, and then, yeah, it's a very strange movie with a... But I think what people don't like about it and what bothers people about certain things is that it is earnest, right? We want to be disaffected, sarcastic, deadpan, the Aubrey Plaza thing, right? I like Aubrey Plaza. I'm not trying to diss her, but that's the kind of, like, thing that certain people like, right? Oh, I don't care about anything. But, like, you know, it's like a Gen X thing. Or you see it again in Gen Z, I guess. But let's be clear, Gen Z loves this movie because it's a movie about parents actually accepting their children, ultimately. Um, and... 
So I think what people don't like is a movie that's deeply emotionally earnest. Not just emotional, but earnest. And I, I hit a point, because when I was younger, I really was sarcastic all the time. Um, it's really a defense mechanism, you know? People wore their sarcasm like a badge, like Chandler Bing, right? Um, and the like, the the comedic character on TV shows was always like that, sarcastic and just like mocking people, right? That's not fun anymore, you know. You can't really build a real connection on that. Sarcasm has its place, but it, it, I think it creates distance more than it creates connection. And uh, as we've seen in the last few years, I think we need connection more than anything, especially in marginalized communities. We need connection so that we can survive this shit. So what people don't like, I think, is earnestness. Sometimes they're right to dislike earnestness because, like, for example, Green Book was pretty earnest, you know? Uh, but it's... Uh, when er er People will say some nonsense like this movie or Coda or, or uh, other things that are more emotional will not stand the test of time. That's silly, uh, but I think it's also just putting down earnestness because they prefer a, a sort of dark, dry, let's be clear, like a British version of humor. And this idea, for example, that like the American office is worse than the British office. Well, eventually, yes, because it got bad at the end. But like even when it first came out, people said it's worse because it has more, more of a heart. Right now, you can have your opinions about the British office and the American artist. The fact that there's almost no emotionality in the British version makes it impossible for me to watch. Now, I understand is that because I'm American or is it just because I'm an emotional person or everyone's emotional? I'm just not unwilling to tap into my emotions. So I did at one point love The Office. And you, know, you look back, things haven't aged all that well, right? But that's most that's not The Office's fault. That's everything. Um, and we really, I don't know, it's like the importance of being earnest, right? Earnest things, however, don't connect with any everybody. Because if you're earnest, then if that motion doesn't work for you, then you're going to be really turned off. Whereas if something is dark and distant, but you don't love it, you, feel, you tend to still respect it, right? That's how I feel about Power of the Dog. I respected that movie. I enjoyed having watched it, but I don't think about it. It's very pretty. I probably deserved to win score cinematography last year, as opposed, and, and in addition to director. But, um, you know, I just don't think about it. It had no emotional impact on me. Uh, I remember in 2010... I don't know, because I had no idea what my career would turn into, right? I love to write, as you all know. Um, I didn't think any books would ever happen. And in 2010, I had come back from South Korea, and I was mostly unemployed. You know? I had a, a job for four weeks that summer, and that is the sum total of work I did. And, well, I technically was still employed for the first two months of the year when I lived in Korea. So when I came home, the only income I made in 2010 was the, the month of July when I taught at a summer program for European students. And so I didn't make a lot of money that year, let's put it that way. Um, I think I made $7,000 that year, excluding the fact that when I got into grad school, I said yes to, because you, you, know, you can have loans that are for 
school and then they can include living expenses and basically I agreed to do the living expenses loan so I would have enough money to 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 get by and I think I should have probably gotten a job because those living expenses loans kind of jacked up the loans I'll be paying off forever for a program that no longer exists of all the educational programs I went to that's definitely the the biggest mistake however you know, butterfly effect, chaos theory, right? I definitely had to be in exactly that one place to meet Alyssa at that time. And if I hadn't met Alyssa, I don't have Hazel or Neptune. So I can never say I wish, you know, for the financial reasons, I wish I had gone to Hunter or something back then. But I wouldn't have met Alyssa. But anyway, so I created this system in... um 2010 called head heart gut which i know it's silly and i was basically saying like do three different ways to enjoy a movie right did it engage my brain did it engage my heart and did i just sort of have a reaction to it like a just gut reaction which i don't know how i separated heart and, and gut because the point is i was trying to create a metric where the social network would come out ahead <laughs> I just liked it more than The King's Speech. The thing is, The King's Speech is not a bad movie. I mean, Tom Hooper is a bad director and shouldn't have won, but the acting in the movie carries, right? It's, it is very good acting. Do we need to analyze the problematic nature of valorizing a colonial king? Come on, man. Like, of course I believe that that is a problem, but on the other hand they were fighting the Nazis. So, you know, you win some, you lose some there. Um, but, like, the acting carries. And I think that that's part of what the problem is for everything everywhere, for some people, is that I would say, aside from the... I'd say the directing is top-notch in the sense that, like... The, we'll talk about that. But, like, this movie is off, is kind of carried by the actors. There's good writing in it, but it's not really... Aside from those lines that are really hitting people, like, in another life, I would have loved to do laundry and taxes with you. Which, I mean, that's just, it's a line that hits, right? Um, I almost have to stop talking when I think about that line. <laughs> but the movie is carried by its actors. I know the movies are, but, like really carried by his actors. So if those performances, which are really going for it, don't work for you, then you're probably going to hate the movie. The, it's like they're they're really going for it, you know? Um, so let's talk about the directing. So the Daniels, sorry, just Daniels, um, they've only made one full-length movie before this, which was called Swiss Army Man, which I've never seen. It's, supposed, it's a movie about Paul Dano, who's a, I can't remember, he's a shipwreck victim or something, and he finds a corpse played, quote-unquote, played by Daniel Radcliffe, and the corpse is farting, um, which is not inaccurate in the sense that as your body decomposes, gases are built up inside of you, and they are expelled. It's just that you don't tend to notice because you are usually in the ground. And I don't mean, obviously the dead person doesn't notice, but I just mean, like, the... No one else knows because you're underground. Or you've been burned, so it doesn't happen. Um, obviously, they exaggerated it. But, like, it's a weird movie, which I haven't seen, and I can't say much about it. These people also directed the Turn Down for What video, if you remember that. 
which is just like people flying through ceilings and so forth. And I remember that video just being ridiculous. And also, so is that song. And they're just weird guys. But what Daniel Kwan said about the movie is that I can't remember if he said that he got a diagnosis right afterwards or working on it made him realize it. But he actually said out of his mouth that the movie represented his brain and the ADHD inside of it. Like, it's not just a movie... Because the movie doesn't specifically say anything about ADHD. But, like, it's a movie that I've never seen a movie represent ADHD more effectively than that. And he wasn't even... Tr I think if you make a movie where you're trying to represent ADHD, you're not going to do it well. You're going to exaggerate. That's what my brain feels like all the time, right? There's 300 things going on in there. I am barely focusing on talking to you in this microphone. There's nobody in this room with me. I'm sitting here in my bedroom talking into a microphone, but I'm also looking out the window and thinking about where the 7 train is going, because I live above the 7 train. Where is the W going? Because I live above the N and the W. You know exactly where I live if you live in New York, right? I live in Queensboro Plaza. So, like, um, I just saw somebody go come, come running off of the bridge. Where is that person running to, right? If I tried to convey to you what was in my head, it wouldn't make any sense. This is why I need an editor when I write, because <laughs> you got to make it make sense. Um, but I, I tried to represent my brain authentically in my writing, which always covers way too many ideas. I never, you know, when I'm outlining some of my work, I'll make a list. And ultimately, whatever I'm thinking about when I'm outlining it ends up in there. Um, some people don't like this, and that's fine. But the point I'm making about the movie is, like, this honestly represented my brain the way more than any other movie had. And then there's the other aspect, which is more explicitly depicted, which is the daughter's depression, right? Um, and nihilism, but really more the depression. And, like, the lack of love that Jamie Lee Curtis's character feels. Like, that's a broad performance, but, like, when you get to the end of it, you realize her character has an arc and deserves to be treated well. Um, and it makes you think about the functionaries in government offices, right? You know, what's their life like? Um, somehow this is depicted through hot dog fingers and mustard, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, I think that it is sort of hard to depict those two things. There have been movies about depressed characters, um, but, like... This sort of fuck all this shit attitude that, um, fuck all this shit, I'm going to burn everything down, which ends up turning into fuck all this shit, let's love people. And I think that's how I feel, right? What I think has helped me, not only is it therapy and all that, but what I think has helped me a lot is, and I think there's a race aspect to this, for me at least. There's this group of teachers, I know. And I'm not trying to insult them. Um, we have a Twitter chat. And I tell you, every single bad law bill that gets that happens in the news, they share it in that chat. And I got to turn the chat off for a while. It's not that I don't want to know the bad news. I'm going to find out the bad news, right? I do research on racism, so I'm not going to be ignorant about stuff. She said, I don't just want to talk about this stuff all the time. And it sort of annoys me. It, you know, it sort of reminds me, as I've said at other times, the, the people who say, 
what is America coming to? This is not to pretend that things aren't bad here. It's just they're always bad here. The country was founded on bad. It has always been bad. It's just a different version of it. So the point is, there was a time when I really thought if I just put my head down and kept going, I could deal with racism, but then that's not how it works. So at this point, it's more of an acceptance of the bad and then to keep going as opposed to trying to ignore the bad. So I think that there's some people, particularly white people, who are sort of gobsmacked by what's going on in the world, mostly because they, I think, honestly, the pandemic did a lot. Not even the pen, the COVID of it itself, but the initial isolation, right? We were all inside for several months at the beginning, and we had no choice but to be on the Internet. And I think a lot of people saw things that they wouldn't have seen. That's why the George Floyd, George Floyd protests were so big. And people, some people are still trying, and some people stopped. But I think that there's so much what is the world coming to nonsense, because it, 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 it didn't, they couldn't see outside of their own world. And so when I tell people that I don't scroll social media anymore, I use social media every day. But I don't scroll it when I'm bored. If I'm bored, I watch a video, right? A YouTube video or I listen to a podcast or both. Sometimes I'm literally listening to podcasts and watching videos at the same time. I told you there's a lot going on in my head. But I don't like just like reading the news to make myself angry. I feel like I'm trying to do what I can through my work, through this, through my books to... Um, make the world a slightly safer place for my son. Now you can take that again the wrong way. You can say that because if you're a majoritized person, then that could mean like make the world safer for my son means I don't want any black people to be around him or something, right? Because that's what a lot of white parents say. They want to make sure their kids are okay, so therefore let's not let them read about gay people, right? So I think saying I want to make things safe for my child is useful if you are from a marginalized community. If you want to make things safe for your child and you're from the majoritized community, nah, you should shut the fuck up. (laughs) Anyway, so there's that. But I bring all this up to say that this was actually the first movie I saw in the theater since the pandemic started. And a lot of that was, I mean... It's obviously at the beginning there weren't any theaters and so forth and it wasn't safe and all that. But like, I was also waiting because like, well, fuck, if I'm going to go to the theater, it's got to be worth it, right? Not just for the COVID reasons, but like, I went to the 10 a.m. showing. There was nobody within 30 feet of me. So, and I had my mask on. So I really wasn't all that concerned. And I did not get COVID. But, um, is that the last movie I saw in the theater was Parasite. (laughs) and man it is hard to like when your statement is the last movie I saw in the theater was Parasite I mean it's kind of a mic drop right you know I saw the last movie I saw in the theater was a movie that then went out and won best picture surged it was just sort of a a truly loved and respected movie I think what's happening with EEA OO is that the movie is loved but for some people not respected however you don't win Oscars on respect (laughs) Um, so uh, so I was like what am I going to do to get in the theater so 
this was, I was the week between my last job and this job. And I made a point of buying a movie ticket during that week so that I could see my first theater, movie in the theater in, at that point, almost two and a half years. And I took a gummy because I had only started using gummies again after several years. Um, just because I knew there was, I didn't know what the movie was fucking about. Like, I had no fucking idea. I just knew it was weird. Um, and, like, I just had, I, you know, just like all the YouTubers, I had this goofy experience. I was laughing. I was really having a good time and so forth. And then it was just like a really emotional experience. And I felt like I was, like, different afterwards, you know? And I think that the, pe for, the people for whom that is true, I think that's why they're voting the way they are. Is it theoretically possible that some other movie has more in people who enjoy it? Yeah. But what I think has been shown so far is that even if it were not to win the big prize, um, this is a movie that a lot of people are going to love forever. And I think that that needs to be respected. But I do want to say for me, it was the ADHD, it was the depression, um, showing that you can be loved even if you have depression, showing that not being able to pick what you want to do because Michelle Yeoh's character seems to have apparently... Um, tried out many different careers and they haven't really worked out. Um, that's not quite the case for me, but I understand not knowing where you're going. Um, it's just sort of sad when Jamie Lee Curtis says to her, like, how could a karaoke machine be a business success? And she says, I'm a singer. Um, and Jamie Lee Curtis says, I thought you were going to bring your daughter to translate. And it's just like, <sighs> it's heavy at the beginning of this movie, man. But, uh, you know, I just really feel that there's never truly been a movie like this. And for better or worse, I think that that's what they ought to honor um, in the industry. And I'm happy the industry is. No one thought this would happen, right? I remember hearing notices in like... February, because this movie premiered at South by Southwest, right? I remember hearing that Michelle Yeoh gives a career great performance, whatever, but you hear a lot of that stuff in like January and March, right? And what happened in, the only time that really worked from like Sundance is like Nomadland came out and it was the Sundance that happened before the shutdowns because we didn't know all this stuff. This was January 2020. People said, oh, Nomadland, Nomadland. And then everything shut down and because Nomadland was ahead, it just stayed ahead. And it won. I'm not trying to discredit that movie. I read the book years ago, so I enjoyed the movie. But uh, I'm just saying that's a, generally the something comes out of a festival in the in the winter or spring. It does the momentum does not last. A lot of people premiere their movies at festivals, as particularly the Toronto International Film Festival in September. And the biggest cheers there usually win Oscars. The biggest cheers at the Toronto Film Festival in 2022 were the Fablemans. Well, I don't think that that's going to end up having worked out for them. But um, to the point is, I remember hearing about Michelle Yeoh's performance, but then like, and that there's, you know, it's just genre. The superhero people are generally upset that superhero movies don't get a lot of recognition. They're getting more. They now have their first acting nomination, and they did have a Best Picture nomination years ago. I do think it's funny that the neckbeards who are anti-quote-unquote woke, uh, which nitpick the superhero movies that aren't about white guys for reasons that are silly, the only Marvel movies that get any respect at the Academy are the Marvel movies about black people.
So, fuck you. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, I'm getting off topic here, of course. But I think with this movie, there is no such thing as off topic, right? It cuts across everything um, every and everywhere. Are you, ha, ha, ha. Um, and... I just think that as long as it wins at least a couple of above-the-line awards. For people who don't know, above-the-line means not tech. So that means um, there are, what is it? Picture, director, screenplay, screenplay, the four acting awards, right? Those are the four. Up, those are the eight above line awards. No movie can win eight of them because you can't win two screenplay awards, right? It's either original or adapted. So the most a movie could win is seven above the line awards. Now that's never going to happen because that would mean you have to win all four acting awards and director and picture, right? This has literally never happened, okay? Uh, but movies can win a bunch of those. It hasn't happened lately because since there's been 10 Best Picture nominees, they tend to spread the love. But every so often it happens that movies just sort of steamroll. And it's been a while. Um, the last several movies to steamroll, however, didn't actually get any acting wins, which is why it's making this a little bit surprising. The last movie to truly steamroll was Argo, like I said. and uh, But that didn't win any acting awards. It didn't win directing because he wasn't nominated. Um, before that, the last movie to steamroll was um, No Country for Old Men. That did win one acting award. This movie could win one. It's definitely going to win at least one. Maybe it'll win two. Maybe it'll be three. So, um, but the point is, as long as it wins at least, I would say, three above-the-line awards, right? Uh which would therefore make it, even if it doesn't win picture, probably the most honored of the night above the line, because nothing else is going to win more. I don't think anything else is going to win more than one above the line award besides this. That'll be cool with me. Hope it wins picture, but it's definitely going to win director. It's going to win supporting actor, and then hopefully it wins screenplay or whatever. And yeah, I just think it's a really good sign for the industry and I'm not trying to pretend that Hollywood isn't like capitalist, blah, 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 blah. But it's a good sign for the industry that these movies are now possibly Oscar movies. The old days of the super producers pushing treacly nonsense into awards is, I'm pretty sure, over. Or at least they have a chance if they are good Oscar bait, right? Um... That's how you get something like Brendan Fraser, where I'm not, I haven't seen the movie, and I'm not trying to make a point about the whale, which I'm sure, I mean, there's definitely some controversy there. But everything I can tell, his performance is great, right? So, um, but if you did that and it was bad, in the old days you would still get the person in because of the makeup, right? Um, so... Generally speak, and this is not 100%, there are still treacly things that get in there, but the point is, uh, the whole, like, it must be a true story, it must be very sad, you know, whatever, English patient stuff, and I'm not trying to be mean about that movie, which is actually good, but, you know, the whole Seinfeld episode about Elaine not liking the English patient, uh, <laughs> it's funny, but that was the thing, is for a long time, the movies that won were mostly 
movies that uh, were sort of Oscar baity. Sometimes they were popular, like a Titanic, uh, but usually they were Oscar baity. And I think we're out of that phase. People were annoyed that movies that weren't very popular won for a while, but like if that were to win, that movie made a lot of money, especially on a small budget. Um, there's a lot of popular movies nominated this year. Do the Oscars matter? No, but what ma- again, nothing matters, so be kind to each other. That's the whole point of the movie. Um, and I hope that that message resonates for people, regardless of the awards. It's nice to see the recognition in the awards, but I just hope people take away from it what they should be taking away from it. And I hope that you enjoy it if you see it. And why would you listen to this if you hadn't seen it? All right. Have a good day, folks.